Hey everybody, this is Lance Parrish, and you are listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Thank you, Lance Parrish. Welcome, everybody. It's the Road to Detroit podcast. Welcome back. It's episode two. My name's Dan Hasty. So glad to have you back with us. Nate Wangler is our producer. This is the Road to Detroit podcast. If you caught episode one, thank you so much for listening. More of the same here in episode two. We'll talk to Jake Rogers, Detroit Tigers' number 12 prospect, who has always excelled behind the plate as a defensive catcher. But all of a sudden, his offense is starting to catch up to his defense. He has caught all the important arms in the Tigers' system. The Casey Mises, the Matt Mannings, Alex Fiedo, just to name a few. He's now in AAA Toledo, and he's catching even more guys that will be integral to the Tigers' rebuild. We'll talk to Jake Rogers just as much about the responsibility as a defensive catcher as he has as an offensive player because there's probably no position player prospect in the entire system that's more vital to the success of the pitching staff than Jake Rogers. So we'll talk to him coming up in just a little bit. Jim Callis of MLB.com is scheduled to join us as well. We'll talk to Jim, who just put out a recent MLB mock draft. We'll talk about who he has the Tigers taking with the fifth overall pick. Essentially, this is draft week. This is the draft show for the road to Detroit. Last year was Casey Mize. We know how important he is to this rebuild. And now the number five pick. Maybe a position player. Maybe a bat to go with all these big arms in the system. We'll talk a little bit about that with Jim Callis coming up as this Road to Detroit podcast continues. We'll also look at the week it was. We'll name our best in class. And then we'll look at the week ahead for the Tigers minor league system. It's now time for the on-ramp. We have a lot to cover. We'll start with Toledo. Jake Rogers was outstanding. Currently on a four-game hitting streak, almost 300 at the plate his last 10. 11 runs batted in. And the defense, that's not taking a day off whatsoever. He has caught 12 of 23 runners stealing so far this year. He has been exceptional so far. We'll talk to Jake Rogers in just a little bit. Willie Castro has been off the charts. He's batting 475 in his last 10 games, batting 351 at the plate. Willie Castro has been outstanding, and he's really starting to make some noise. Willie Castro was the Tigers' number seven prospect, and now I think he's officially on notice. I mean, 22 years old, playing a premium position and giving some offense to go along with it. Don't know if he's quite ready to handle the full load of the major leagues, but certainly Willie Castro is giving us every reason to be optimistic about what he can do as he gets there. Let's go to Erie. For the Erie Seawolves, the starting pitching shined brightest once again. Alex Fiedo, six and a third innings of 12 strikeouts, shutout baseball. He was tremendous on Wednesday in a 3-0 victory over Redding. Meanwhile, Casey Mize, just another eight innings of shutout baseball with six strikeouts. Matt Manning was superb as well. Six shutout frames for Manning while striking out seven. Saying those three are off to good starts is putting it mildly. Let's go to Lakeland. Garrett Hill has been terrific in 2019, off to a really good start in West Michigan, and it earned him a quick ticket to Lakeland. Lights out in his first game against St. Lucie back on May 25th. Six innings of shutout baseball, just two hits and four strikeouts in his first Florida State League appearance. That's significant for Garrett Hill. Meanwhile, Cole Peterson hitting 372, and having seen this kid play shortstop, he is one of, if not the best defensive player 
I have ever seen play live. He's been on SportsCenter a ton of times. Cole Peterson is so good defensively. If he can hit at all, this guy is a major leaguer. Cole Peterson hitting 372 in his last 10 games, including a 3-for-5 performance back on the 23rd. And congratulations to Cole Peterson. He got the call up from Lakeland to Erie. The 23-year-old shortstop has always played phenomenal defense, but now some offense is mixing in as well. Cole Peterson in Connecticut, 2017, hit 246. West Michigan in 2018, 277. Lakeland here in 2019, 292. Usually the batting averages don't go this way. They're going up every single level that Cole Peterson has ascended in the Tigers minor league system. Let's go to West Michigan. Was a tough week for the West Michigan Whitecaps. They lost eight games in a row. Wasn't for a lack of offense. The Whitecaps had a couple of players hit really well over the past calendar week. Ulrich Boyarski, native of Perth, Australia, hitting 389 in his last 10 ball games, hit a three-run home run on Wednesday, helped the Whitecaps break that eight-game skid with a 10-1 victory over the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Chris Proctor, the former Duke Blue Devil, he's not just the defensive catcher anymore for West Michigan. He's hit 436 in his last 10 ball games. He had a seven-game multi-hit hitting streak. Those are super rare. Chris Proctor had a really good week for the Whitecaps. That's the on-ramp. It's now time for Best in Class. Of all the Tigers minor leaguers this week, this player made the most noise. This week's winner of Best in Class is Willie Castro, the shortstop of the Toledo Mudhens, who was outstanding. Get a load of these numbers for Willie Castro. Hitting 475 in his last 10 games. This past week alone, Willie Castro had a four-hit game, a three-hit game, and three games where he collected two base hits. His batting average on the season is 351, on base at 425, ton of extra base hits, 18 extra base hits in 44 games. He's running a little bit, eight stolen bases during that time playing a shortstop that is still a work in progress. So they're trying to get his defense to where his offense is, but he's certainly giving the Tigers reasons for optimism. You can't mess with Willie Castro. He is this week's best in class. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. I'm sure you've heard of the Twitter account Pitching Ninja. Jake Rogers could very well be the minor league baseball version of Catching Ninja. Jake Rogers joins us right now. Jake, thank you very much for joining us, and congrats on a tremendous season thus far. Oh, awesome. Glad to be here, and uh, yeah, it's exciting, so ready to, ready to keep going. I'm not kidding when I say this. I think you're the most important position player prospect in this entire system. Your defense, you've got so many responsibilities with these pitchers, and oh yeah, now he's hitting. I'm sure you work on everything, but what facet of your game do you dedicate the bulk of your time? Oh man, yeah, you know, you're right. Um I work on everything, but, you know, I really take pride in catching. Um, you know, I think that's a big part of the game is, you know, controlling, you know, 90 feet and being able to handle the staff and stuff like that. So that's really been the, the big part of my game is really focusing on that. Your offensive numbers last year were a little misleading. The second half, you crushed it in double A. And we could ask, like, hey, when did it click for you? But we know the answer. What I want to know is how something like that clicks. Like, what happens in your brain to make you go, Oh, I think I've got the hang of it now. Yeah, you know, just staying with it. You know, you know, you play a long season. You know, I had a you know pretty rough start, as everyone probably knows. But you know, it just you know, staying with it, staying positive. You know, coming to the field every day and and really just uh, you know working on just finding that one thing that clicks. And uh, when it does, you know, riding it and and just uh, you know keep riding that uh, 
at a, a good waves. Jake Rogers joins us. You mentioned the grind of a season and grinding it out. You know, 140 games, that's a lot more than you were playing when you were catching at Tulane. How much of an adjustment is that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's an adjustment. You know, you're not, you know, back to Tulane, you know, I was catching four days a week, um, you, know, you know, the weekends and stuff like that. And here you're playing every day. So it's a little bit of an adjustment period, you know. But as far as, you know, coming in when I was drafted by Houston, you know, they, they took, you know, pretty good care of me as, as far as, you know, rotating me in a little bit and just here and there. And then, you know, as, as the next full season went on, uh, I caught more and more. Um, I think I caught, like, I'm, I'm not sure how many. I, can, I couldn't even tell you. But, you know, last year I caught, you know, 100 games um, right around that number. And just kind of working into it uh, really helps. Um, but, you know, just, just really uh, preparing your body every day, get into a good solid routine and, and uh, get ready to play. You mentioned that you'd started in the Houston Astros system. Obviously, it's well documented that you were part of the Tigers trade, Justin Verlander to Houston and you, as well as Daz Cameron, and Franklin Perez came over to Detroit. How much of a shock to the system was that? How long did it take you to get acclimated to the Tigers system? Because you kind of came at the very end of that minor league baseball season. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was kind of crazy. You know, I, it was kind of, you know, it was very last minute, um, as everyone probably knows. But, um, yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, you know, we, I came over with – I went to Lakeland uh, with two games left in the season, two or three games left. Um, and then uh, I played both games and then uh, went home. So it was kind of a crazy uh, three or four days. And But, yeah, you know, it, it, uh, those, those three or four days kind of went by fast. You know, and next thing I know, I was home. And, um, I went actually went to an instructional league. And, you know, after, you know, when I went to the instructional league and got to know everybody in the, in the organization, uh, everything kind of settled down and, you know, got a little more comfortable. It's funny, you mentioned that you show up and then they send you home, but you're a catcher, and I know how important catchers are to spring training. So many catchers get there so early. How much downtime do you have as opposed to some of the other guys? Yeah, you know, I try to not take a a lot off. You know, I probably, you know, after the season's done, I take a week or two um, just to kind of relax, you know, get back to, you know, every day. And then as far as that, you know, I try to hit the weight room and, and get into, into quality shape so I can catch, you know, as many games as I, as I need me to catch. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, you know, I think other guys, you know, will probably take care of their bodies the same way. You know, I think it kind of differs on each guy, but I try to get in there and uh, take care of my body and get strong and get prepared. We're talking with Jake Rogers. You know, when your team's catcher isn't good defensively, there's a domino effect. Guys take bigger leads, steal more bases. They score more runs, inevitably. But a good defensive catcher saves arguably more runs than any other position on the field. Do you think people undervalue the effect of having a great defensive catcher? I think, uh, you know, people you know, that, that watch the game really pay attention, really like to watch and really like to uh, value a, a, good, a good catcher. You know, you know everyone uh, always kind of says, you know, you uh, they come a dime a dozen, but, you know, when you have one back there, it just kind of makes everything go a little more smoothly. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, I think you know, they, they really do uh, really do like them, if, you know, if you pay attention and, you know, like most people uh, really like the value of a good catcher. One of the things I like about you is that you've now caught almost every big name in this farm system. I know that's a huge help for you. Let's start with Casey Mize, who I know you didn't catch for long this year, but I'm certain you caught him in Erie as well as spring training. Take us into the experience of catching Casey Mize. I know you happened to help get him a no-hitter in his first game in Double A. 
yeah, Casey is, is great. You know, I mean, everybody in this organization, you know, has has their own niche. But you know, as, as far as you know, Casey was obviously highly touted being the number one overall pick, and um, ended up meeting him in spring, and he just was, you know, awesome guy. And when you talk to him, he's very very mature. He knows, you know, kind of what he wants to do and and kind of how he wants to attack hitters. So, um, you know, catching him in spring you know, just to kind of get to know his stuff and and really uh, um, kind of just getting the feet wet a little bit and knowing all of this stuff. And then when he came to Erie, um, I caught him his first game. and Obviously it went really well with the no hitter. Um, but yeah, his, he's just really mature. He, you know, he commands all his pitches and he knows how he wants to attack. And, you know, he's got a good head on the shoulders for it. We talked to Casey last week. He gave a scouting report on you to the athletic that said that you have the ability to make a pitcher really trust you. How do you gain that trust? Yeah, you know, just just uh, I think uh, day in and day out, you know, you just kind of talk to them and, and really, uh, really tell them, you know, what you know, you pick their mind, and they pick your mind at the same time, you know, before they start, you know, obviously catching them a couple times really helps that, and them seeing you catch back there, you know, knowing that they can uh, throw a curveball in the dirt or for him a splitter in the dirt, you know, to and just trusting me and blocking that and um, and getting you know a couple balls called strikes uh, really helps too, so. I think just over time a little bit um, really helps. We're talking with Jake Rogers. I read somewhere that in high school you played shortstop. Now, is that true? And did any of that actually help you as you moved over to catcher? Yeah, I, uh, as far, you know, like everybody probably now, you know, in in pro baseball, you know, at one point or another played shortstop or played everywhere. But um, growing up, I was, I really just kind of played wherever they wanted me. You know, um, I didn't really start actually catching until I was, like a lot until I was 13, 12, 13. And, um, as you know, as that went on, uh, you know, I, people noticed that I was, you know, pretty good back there. So, and I actually wanted to be back there cause you know, uh, you get involved in every pitch, but yeah, you know, as far as, as I went into high school, um, I played, you know, like I would say probably half and half, half catcher, half shortstop. And then, uh, going into two lane, obviously they wanted me to catch, but they were like, Hey, look, if we need you in left field, excuse me, if we need you in left field and, you know, at third base or first base, you know, we know, you know, you're athletic enough to, to play those positions. So, yeah, you know, it's, I think it, it really helped me as far as a catcher, you know, having, you know, working your hands, having soft hands as far as receiving. So, Just indulge me here. Obviously, you're a great defensive catcher, but if you could play anywhere else, where would Jake Rogers want to play? Oh, man, I don't know. Um, I think I like catching too much. Um if I had to choose, uh, probably up the middle somewhere, if I had to, center field, shortstop, second base, or, you know, just one of the middle positions. I like kind of, you know, being athletic. and But, you know, wherever they <laughs> – I'm just kind of – wherever they need me or wherever they want me to play, I'll play. But I think catching, I'm, I'm, I like sticking with it. We're talking with Jake Rogers. You said you didn't start catching until you were about 12 or 13. Are you glad you didn't start any earlier than that? Because that is such a grueling position. Well, I mean, I, I had caught a little bit. I'm, I mean, I'm just not, like, not every day, you know, not a lot. Um, but, yeah, it, it is a grueling position, you know. It's, it's tough on your body. But, you know, it's, I think, even, you know, learning at a younger age just what it's kind of all about. And that kind of, you know, helps people like, oh, you know, I don't really want to play this position. You know, like, it really is kind of uh, different, a different breed. So, yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm just really thankful for that. 
You know, it's fun to watch you catch and watch guys try to steal bases on you. Emphasis on the word try, but give me some names of guys that you watched growing up that you enjoyed. Do you kind of liken your style to anyone else, past or present? Yeah, you know, I um, I watched a couple guys, and, you know, I can't really put one name to – uh, you know, like that I really liked, but you know, growing up there was uh, I stuck with Joe Maurer uh, for a little bit just because I like you know the way he caught and obviously he's a really really great player. Um, when I started to you know in high school when I started to really like study guys and really know the difference and you know how how they receive and stuff like that, I really watched uh, the Molina brothers. Uh, you know, obviously Yachty can really throw it and uh, you know he's one of the best you know, in the game in, in this generation as far as catchers. And then his uh, his brother, actually, Jose Molina, you know, was started for a little bit but backed up a little bit, um, you know, for, for multiple teams. And he could really, really receive. So I, I really liked watching him, uh, watching a video of him really catch the ball because, you know, it's, it's really fun to watch. A lot of guys with a long major league resume. You're not a big yeah. leaguer just yet, but you've caught a number of big leaguers. What kinds of things will be on your learning curve for playing the catching position at an elite level in major league baseball? Uh, I think just prepare, preparing, you know, preparing for each each game, each series, each each team. Um, I've really uh, kind of picked a lot of people's brains about that and really, you know, how to how to play a hundred and 60 or so, so odd games and really trying to prepare and, you know, pitch calling and stuff like that. You know, I'm really fortunate to have, you know, a lot of guys, you know, I've been around the past couple of years and, you know, and coaches to really help me out along that way. You talked about Jose Molina's ability to receive stealing strikes is kind of one of those buzzwords around baseball and catchers. There are some guys that can really do it well and some guys who just simply can't. How important is that to you? You know, it's important. Um, I think it just goes in the trust factor uh, with the pitchers, you know, being, you know, I, I say having, you know, really soft hands um, back there and and uh, really, you know, trying to present the, the ball well to the umpire and, and uh, you know, get obviously get the strikes called the strikes. But, you know, when you get a couple balls called strikes, you know, that really helps out the pitcher and um, get into better counts. We're talking with Jake Rogers. So I want to go back to something that I read last year in spring training couple of articles came out, and the headline, kind of just to paraphrase, said, had Ron Gardenhire saying, Tigers prospect Rogers impressive, but must cut back on the flash. <laughs> Can you <laughs> tell us the story of what prompted that? I know you had some time with Gardy last year as well as this past year. Yeah, I think it was one of my first spring training games, and uh, I, it was a drop third strike. I went down and I blocked it, um, and I didn't. So, you know, when you drop third strike, the runner runs the first. Um, you're supposed to, you know, clear at least, the, you know, three to five, you know, three, ten feet out to the right and create a uh, clear throwing lane for you to throw to first. But instead, I kind of – I didn't clear the runner. I just kind of to the side and, and uh, side-armed it down to first. Uh, got him out and everything, but obviously that wasn't the smart thing to do. You know, obviously you could, you could hit the runner – uh, it could, you know, roll on the right field, you know, just cause extra bases. So he got on to me about that. I tried to fix it from then on, and I don't think I've done it since. So, you know, obviously when, when Gardy speaks, I'm going to listen and, and because, you know, obviously his resume is unreal. So um, that was kind of the story behind that. He still wants you to have fun, though, right? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> a he's a, he's a awesome manager, you know, a great guy, too. So he uh, he's just kind of not really biting down, but, you know, just saying, hey, you know, 
clear that runner just to make sure, you know, we don't, we save that extra, you know, we get that out and we don't throw an extra 90 feet. Are the bus trips better or worse in Toledo than they were in Erie? Uh, I, you know, they're a little better. Uh, we get, uh, we get two buses here, so, you know, it's a lot less crowded, so a little better. Good stuff, Jake. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you. Best of luck. And can't wait to see you in Detroit because I think it's only a matter of time. Awesome. I appreciate you having me. As we said, this is our MLB draft edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. ESPN fan graphs have both put out mock drafts, and we can kind of get a feel as to which way the Tigers might go with the fifth overall pick. And just simply looking at Keith Law's mock draft, I think before we get into the draft itself, I think it's important to mention the who's who of the candidates available for the Tigers at number five. We have to start at the very, very top. Adley Rutschman, a catcher from Oregon State, is probably the top prospect in this draft. It's pretty close between he and the next name on this list, but he is one of the best players, if not the best college baseball position player overall. Great defensive catcher, a really good offensive player as well. But Adley Rushman certainly looks like the favorite to be the first overall pick in this upcoming MLB draft. The second overall pick is also looking pretty secure The shortstop from Texas Heritage High School, Bobby Witt Jr., the son of the former Major League pitcher, they think that this one's a lock. They think that the Royals are going to take Bobby Witt Jr. Some of the greatest, most glowing reviews I've seen for a high school bat in quite some time. It's a group of three. It's Adley Rutschman, it's Bobby Witt Jr., and then it's Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman from California. He was the Golden Spikes winner last year. What's interesting is that he was one of three nominees. The other two nominees and the two nominees he beat out for this award, Casey Mize and Cody Clemens. So two Tigers prospects right now in the system, and you could add the guy who beat both of them for the Golden Spikes Award that's given to the best collegiate player. Andrew Vaughn is a first baseman. And usually teams at this point in the draft, super high, aren't looking at taking a first baseman. He's an adequate defender But he doesn't give you a whole lot besides the ability to hit the ball, to get a high batting average, to have big power. He's not bringing a whole lot beyond that. Think about Paul Konerko, for example, the guy who played with the Chicago White Sox for many, many years. I think if you want to look at a potential comparable for Andrew Vaughn, Paul Konerko is probably the guy. But it's those three. It's Adley Rushman, it's Bobby Witt Jr., and it's Andrew Vaughn. Those are considered the top three talents available in the MLB draft. Now, if any of those guys were to fall to five, I think you'd be happy to take any of those three. The most likely person to be there at five is probably Andrew Vaughn. And if he's there at five, I think the Tigers would be awfully tempted to take him just because of the fact of, you know, the Tigers have a lot of pitching in their system. The position players need a boost, especially offensively. And while he might not be the greatest defensive first baseman and he's never going to steal you a ton of bases, the bat certainly should play. And it should be a quick moving bat through the system. You have a lot of talent in Erie. You have Casey Mize, you have Matt Manning, you have Alex Fiedo, Jake Rogers just left to go to Toledo. So the heavy weight of the talent of this Tiger system currently is towards the higher levels. Who can get there the fastest? Andrew Vaughn certainly should be a quick mover through the Tigers' system. I don't think you have to spend a lot of time with him in rookie ball or anything like that. You can probably assign him right to a full-season team, and he can hit the ground running. We saw Casey Mize start out his career in Lakeland last season, and he immediately went back to the Flying Tigers. He was exceptional and so quick that he got to Erie before May. 
Now, here's a couple of other names that I think will be a little bit more attainable for the Tigers at pick number five. Outfielder from Vanderbilt, J.J. Bleday, who is an immense power bat. Vanderbilt has seen him really kind of grow up over the last couple of years. A very athletic player, very good in the outfield. They liken him to a young Paul O'Neill, who was phenomenal for all those years with the Yankees, who has a really good throwing arm. We know that he can cover a lot of ground in the outfield. He can hit for a lot of power. When he swings, he looks like he's swinging an axe. He's generated more home runs than anybody in college baseball this year. He's the leading home run hitter in the NCAA. So J.J. Blade, he might not even be there by the time the Tigers are on the board at number five. But if he is, the Athletic also has a mock draft out right now. They have projected that J.J. Blade would be taken by the Detroit Tigers. So now we're all of a sudden looking at maybe a college bat because we've talked about Andrew Vaughn. We've talked about J.J. Blade. Here's a couple other players as well that we've been keeping a close eye on. A couple of high school kids. Riley Green, an outfielder from Haggerty High School. Riley Green is likened to a young Alex Kirilov. And if you're asking who Alex Kirilov is, He's one of the really young, up-and-coming top prospects in baseball. He's a left-handed hitter with power to the opposite field. They like his bat quite a bit, and they like his ability to hit for power in the future, but he's going to take a little more time. We've seen with Parker Meadows right now at 19-year-old in West Michigan, there is a bit of a learning curve. The next player is shortstop C.J. Abrams from Roswell, Georgia, C.J. Abrams is considered somebody, and I've been talking to a couple of other people throughout college baseball, and I got a text from somebody that just said, you want C.J. Abrams. He is incredibly fast. He plays a very good shortstop. Worst case scenario, they say that you can move him to center field. That's a premium position. Look, defense never takes a day off. Speed never takes a day off. Those traits never go away. Now, as an offensive player, if you go 0 for 4 in a ball game, but you also can run, you can play great defense, and you can throw the baseball a long way, you've at least given your team a couple different ways that you can still be an asset, even if you go 0 for 4. Look at a guy like Brandon Inch. Brandon Inch sometimes would go 0 for 4 in a ball game. He didn't hit for the highest average. He hit a couple of home runs. Brandon Inge was a phenomenal defender, and you could move him all over the diamond, but he was always helping your team win games because of how good he was defensively. Now, if you're somebody who's known for their offensive prowess and you don't run all that well and your defense is okay, but it's nothing to write home about, what if you go 0 for 4 in a ball game that day? What exactly are you bringing to your team if you aren't a good runner and you aren't a good defensive player and you went 0 for 4? You didn't really give your team a whole lot. Keith Law of ESPN, he has this mock draft out and he has the Tigers taking Riley Green, the high school outfielder from Florida at number 5, where he writes... I also think this is Andrew Vaughn's floor, which would be a huge win for the Tigers. So again, you know, either you get a very good high school bat or you maybe you get a really good college bat. I think the blessing of this draft is the fact that you've got position players to pick from and all one guy has to do is fall. Again, Andrew Vaughn would be a fine pick. Nate Wangler is our producer. Well, I also heard that looking at Nick Lodolo, who is a left-handed pitcher from TCU. I can't even think about that right now. <laughs> Nick Lodolo is out there. Nate's right. And that is somebody that has been linked to the Tigers. But, you know, I think consensus says that the top six players in this draft are all position players. Lodolo is probably the best pitcher in this draft. You know, and you don't want to draft for need. I get it. There are six really good position players, and they all do different things really, really well. 
Jim Callis of MLB.com. The MLB draft guru is mock draft is up on MLB.com as we speak. He joins us now, Jim, who tweeted out late last night that he was staying awake because he was listening to the killers. Were you celebrating that entire collection or did you have something on repeat? No, I um, Spotify. Uh, they have a, a nice playlist that has about 45 or 50 songs. So I was just plowing through that at two in the morning. I was, I was working on a story about how the first round of the 2009 draft would go if they redid it, and it, it was like a 4,000-word story. So uh, I was up till about 2 a.m. So. <laughs> you can check that out on MLB.com. You can also check out Jim's mock draft. We'll get into that in just a second. Are you hearing any draft buzz as of this moment that could have a direct impact on the Tigers' pick at five? Well, I mean, just from the standpoint of, you know, they pick early enough in the draft, so it's kind of easier to pinpoint what might happen there. You know, I, I feel like like it's the first seven picks, not that I know exactly what's going to happen, but I could feel pretty good if you told me the picks, you know, I, I could plot out the various possibilities, like in a flow chart. And then, like, you know, the Rangers at eight are a little difficult, and then I feel pretty good through about 13th to 14th, 15th pick, all that. Um, but... Um, yeah, you know, it's like they, they pick high enough. I, I feel like I have a pretty good handle. I mean, you know, they're picking at five. I, you know, I, I don't think there's any way they're going to have a shot at Adley Rutschman from Oregon State, who I think goes number one to Orioles. I don't think there's any way they're going to have a shot at Bobby Wood Jr., who goes number two to the Royals. Um, the White Sox is three, and the, and the Marlins is four. I think a little bit more up in the air. So I think everybody else is in play uh, for the Tigers at five. Let's go down that list and start with Andrew Vaughn. If he's there at five and you were a GM with that pick, do you take him? Because some people say that the profile of the right-handed hitting first baseman, not six feet tall, is kind of a cause for concern. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I mean, yes, I would take him. I, he's, to me, the third best player in the draft. I, I would take Rushman one and went two. Um, and if they're off the board, then, yeah, I, I would take Vaughn at five. Um, I mean, I think you can make cases for other guys. I yeah, I mean, do you wish he hit left-handed? Do you do you wish he could play another position? You know, maybe somebody tries him a third. I don't know. Um, yeah, you you do wish those things. You know, the only right-handed hitting first baseman I think has gone the top five or out of college was David McCarty. He didn't have a great career, but Andrew Vaughn's the best hitter in the draft. I mean, there, there's a guy in this draft who's going to hit 300 with 30 home runs per year every year. Your best bet is Andrew Vaughn. So, like, it's just yeah, the, the the key with the draft. I mean, and David Chad, you know, who oversees that for the Tigers with the Marlins and Red Sox, and he's done this forever. And he's got a great track record in the draft, and I think the reason he does is he lets the draft come to him. I mean, you, you can wish for things, but, but when it comes to it, you basically have to take the best available player. And if Andrew Vaughn's at five, to me, he's the best available player because Rutschman and Witt are going to be gone. J.J. Blade, the outfielder from Vanderbilt. Any concerns about too much swing and miss to his game? What's your thoughts on J.J.? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, you coming into the year, you know, ironically, you know, he was more of a, a hit-over-power guy. Um, he hit four home runs as a junior, I mean, as a sophomore in Vanderbilt. He missed some time with an oblique injury. And Scott's wanted to see him hit for more power. And he started two in the Cape Cod League, you know, the top amateur summer league in the country, using wood bats. He hit five, which is a lot for the Cape League. And, and this year, he's got 26 going into the NCAA playoffs, which leads Division One. No, I what I like about him is, is his hit over power. The hit came first. This isn't just a guy you know, like Joey Gallo where you know, it's big power, but there's going to be a lot of swing and miss. He, um, you know, I, I like him. I think he fits the right field profile very well. He would be, like I said, three and four are still fluid. He's my best guess for the Marlins at four. It would be interesting if it came down to, say, Vaughn. And, well, 
if Vaughn, I don't think it comes down to Vaughn versus Bleday for the Tigers because I, I think if, if Bleday's available at five, then Vaughn probably went three or four. We're talking to Jim Callis of MLB.com. I thought it's interesting that you mentioned the Cape Cod League. How much stock do you put into a Cape Cod League season? Um, I put a lot. I mean, you, you have to weigh a little bit with a grain of salt because one thing you have to remember is a lot of times these guys are tired. You know, they're coming off a long college season, especially the pitchers. But the, the things that have going forward are, one, I mean, it, it's the best amateur baseball in the country during the summer. Like, all the top college players, you know, college, some of the guys will play for Team USA, but some will play for both. Most of the top college players in the country wind up in the Cape Cod League. They use wood bats, so you get a much better feel for how pitchers and hitters deal with wood. Um, and it's a 44-game season. And again, I mean, sometimes guys leave early, but it's 44-game season, and college season's 56 games in a regular season. So it's, you know, it's almost the equivalent of, of about three-quarters of a college season. So you do, I mean, you'll see all the time, I mean, the scouting directors can do a lot of one-stop shopping in the Cape. Um, so a lot of times, guys who were very good in the Cape and maybe struggle a little bit in the spring get credit for the Cape. And, you know, the flip side of that is you can have a great spring, but if you struggle with wood bats in the spring, I mean, in the summer, in the Cape, that gets held against you a little bit, too. Like, like how do you do in the Cape? Teams value that very highly. We're talking to Jim Callis. You can find him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB. The high school kids, Riley Green and C.J. Abrams. Talk to us about those two and what you like about the two high school kids that are considered at the top. Yeah, you know, C.J. Abrams is another high school shortstop. You know, I mean, you know, Bobby Wood's going to go number two, and C.J. is like the next best shortstop in the draft. Um, and he can really run. He's one of the fastest runners in the draft. He's, you know, not just a slappy guy at the plate. He's a pretty good hitter. He's got some sneaky power. A little question about shortstop versus center field, but I think, you know, you feel pretty good he can be able to stay shortstop. I don't think he's getting picked at five. Like, I think there's a good chance he goes three to White Sox, and I just, I don't hear of uh, the top six hitters who are probably going to go in the top six picks. I sense that C.J. Abrams is number six. Uh, Detroit sport, um, or it would be sixth in order, and they might even have a couple players ahead of him. So I don't think he's going fifth to Detroit. Riley Green is um, one of the best pure hitters in the draft. If Andrew Vaughn is the best all-around hitter for, for average and power on the college side, um, Riley Green or, or Brett Beatty, high school third baseman from Texas, would be that guy on the, on the high school side. Um, the Tigers like him a lot. Um, it would be, I mean, if it was Vaughn versus green it was i think there would be i think for some people that would be a tough choice with the tigers i still think they go vaughn but if there was a scenario well let's say vaughn goes three to white Sox and boogie day goes for the marlins i think the tigers i don't think they'd be be crestfallen that they run up riley green he's pretty good like with riley you wish that you know he, he probably if you're profiling him down the line fits in left field not as opposed to center or right so you know maybe you wish he could you know, he was a little bit better, you know, athletically and defensively, but but the bat has a chance to be really special. And I had one team, I think this is a little extreme. I don't, I, I like Riley Green a lot. I wouldn't put this comp on it. But I had one team tell me they saw some Cody Bellinger in um, Riley Green. And I meant offensively, not defensively. But, um, and that's obviously, if you're getting that kind of comp from, like, you know, upper-level decision-makers, uh, you're a pretty good player. That's a pretty good comparable on Riley Green. You know, and everybody loves a good player comparison. And who's the player we should expect to get? You know, we did it here before this conversation. For Andrew Vaughn, I threw out Paul Canerco. What do you have for Vaughn? Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. I mean, I think Canerco was bigger. But, yeah, I, I could see him being that style of hitter. Um, you, know, and, you know, I mean, 
there's a, a right-hand hitting first base only guy who you know wound up having a pretty good career. What kind of names are you hearing mixed in and associated with that pick, maybe more so than others? I think Lutchman and Witt are definitely going to be gone. And I think there's a very good chance Gleday is going to be gone. Like I, He's my best guess for the Marlins, so I think that's a little fluid. And I've kind of crossed off C.J. Abrams because I think either he goes number three, and, and even if he doesn't, they don't take him. So, I mean, if I was doing a, a, a pecking order of, of guys I think could go five, um, you know, based on who's going to be there, I, I would put Andrew Vaughn one. I would put Riley Green, a very close number two. And I think two of the names are looking at, you know, maybe a little bit more on the back burner, but if, let's say, four guys they liked went one through four, and then there was a financial, you know, like somebody was asking for crazy money and they thought it was going to be difficult, or there was a late-breaking injury news or something. I think the other two guys they're looking at would be Hunter Bishop from Arizona State. He's a center fielder, um, really improved plate this year, got a lot more discipline. He cut down on his swing and miss. Um, his hit for a lot of power. I mean, if you compare him to Bleday, Bleday's a better pure hitter. Bishop's a better athlete. Um, he'd be one. And then I think the other guy who, who they're looking at a little bit is Texas Christian left-hander Nick Lodolo, who's probably going to be the first pitcher selected. Um, again, I, I think Bishop and Lodolo, for me, would more be on the back burner between, behind Vaughn and Green. Um, you know, I, I had somebody told me, and this was secondhand, that Detroit's something like, hey, you know, they can't afford to wait for a high school pick. They need help quick. I, that would surprise me a little bit because, again, I've known David Chad for a long time. You look at his track record. I think David's all about taking the best available player. And if the best available player is Riley Green, it, you know, if the Tigers' consensus is Riley Green is a better player than Hunter Bishop, you know, you know and Sandra Vaughn's gone, I, I think they're taking Riley Green. So I don't, I, I, I just think Bishop and Lodolo are a little bit more back burner-ish um, that it's really going to come down to Vaughn versus Green. This is more of a philosophical question. I'm really glad you just said this. But in an age where teams go out of their way to maximize their economic advantage, which strategy do you prefer? Take a guy and save some money early so you can spread some options later? Or do you still think you take the best guy no matter what it costs? You, you have to. I mean, I mean, if, if the cost is going to be you know, unreasonable and you think you're going to have a hard time to sign the guy, then maybe not. You, you want to have some certainty so you know what you have to spend elsewhere. But, but you, you have to take the best player at the top of the draft. Like, there's no doubt in my mind you have to because here's another thing is this year in particular, uh, let's say the Tigers decided – they were going to cut a deal. And it's not like, I mean, Lodolo is going to go seven if he doesn't go five. So it's not like you're going to save a bunch more money with him. And Hunter Bishop might go eight or nine. So, like, you know, let's say you could save an extra $500,000 on those guys. Uh, you know, here's the problem. The Diamondbacks pick four times before the Tigers pick again. Anybody, like, if you have some guy you're, you're determined to float down to your second pick, the, the Diamondbacks pick four times. There's a bunch of teams that have multiple picks and more money. There's no guarantee that guy's going to get to you. So, I, I just don't. I, the only saving money is great if, if there's a guy you like, and that opportunity presents itself, like he did with Carlos Correa in 2012 with the Astros, or with the Cubs with Kyle Schwarber a few years later. But those teams took those guys because they wanted the player first. The fact that they could get a bonus was it was a huge cherry on top, you know, by by saving money. But it wasn't the reason they picked those guys. So I, I don't think I don't think you can go into it and, and, and line up Vaughn and Green and Bishop and Lodolo and figure out what you think it's going to cost to sign each guy and then just take the cheapest guy because you just don't have any guarantee that the guy you, you, you're dying for with your next pick is going to get to you. And, and, you know, I mean, again, it'd be great. You know, you can spend money on other guys and you know, maybe you give your 11th rounder $800,000 because you save money. But, but you do that after you, get, you, you, you secure the talent first 
and then you try to strike the best deal possible with that talent spec. And that's the way I would look at it. Jim Callis of MLB.com. Realistically, which player represents the best-case scenario for the Tigers, in your opinion, with the fifth overall pick, if he's there? I think it's Vaughn. Like, like I said, I mean, again, I'm not claiming that our, the way we line up the players is like the, the, the perfect order. You know, we do try to base it on the consensus of viewpoints from a lot of teams in baseball, but they're not going to get a shot at Adelie Rutschman. They're not going to get a shot at Bobby Witt. And to me, Andrew Vaughn's the third best player. And, you know, like I said, I mean, yeah, I mean, you wish Andrew Vaughn could play third base or he hit left-handed or, you know, this or that, you know, it's a little bit bigger. Okay, that's fine. But, like, you're still getting the best offensive player in the draft. And I'm not going to claim I have the results of this study in front of me. But I, I would bet if you, if you did a list of superlatives for each draft, like, you know, best hitter, best athlete, best all-around player, you know, best fastball, you know, best, you know, polish among pitchers. And you were to look at those, whoever, you know, would win those titles every year, that the best hitter would probably be the, the, that those would probably be the guys who were the best big leaguers as a whole. So I think Andrew Vaughn at five would be the best case scenario. And like, I don't, I, I, I mean, if Andrew Vaughn goes ahead of them, let's say he goes three or four, to me, they still wind up with J.J. Bourdais or Riley Green. Um, and that's really, really good. So um, if I were the Tigers, I'd probably, like, I guess, be hoping for Andrew Vaughn a little bit. But I certainly wouldn't be unhappy at all. And, you know, you get a little bit more defensive value, too, if you get J.J. Bleday and Riley Green. And those guys are really good all-around hitters, too. Certainly wouldn't be bad news if the Tigers ended up with the best pitcher in last year's draft, at least based on the early returns, and then the best hitter here in 2019. Jim Callis of MLB.com. You can find his latest mock draft on MLB.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB. Jim, this has been awesome. Really appreciate the time, and have fun the rest of this week. I know you're going to be a busy man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was good talking to you, and the Tigers fans should be happy because we don't know exactly who it's going to be, but it's going to be a, a really good prospect of making his way to Detroit. It's now time for the road ahead. Of all the things going on this week in the Tigers minor league system, this is what we're paying the most attention to. I think it starts with Mize and Manning. Casey Mize, Matt Manning go back-to-back back in the Erie Seawolves rotation, and it looks like Mize and Manning should go some combination over the course of this coming weekend, either Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday. And then, of course, they get followed up by Alex Fiedo. The Erie Seawolves take on the Akron Rubber Ducks. Also, they were just announced, but the Lakeland Flying Tigers have three all-star representatives headed to the Florida State League All-Star Game on June 15th in Jupiter, Florida. Congratulations to Brady Policelli. He was the heartbeat of the West Michigan squad in 2018. He's going to the All-Star Game. He's off to a fantastic start. Meanwhile, Tarek Skubel, who was a ninth-round draft pick for the Tigers from Seattle last year, he's been outstanding, a left-hander with a lot of power to that fastball. It can run it up to about 96 miles per hour. He's been tremendous this year. He's an all-star in the Florida State League. Last but not least, Luke Birch. He won't actually compete in the Florida State League all-star game because he was promoted. He's up in AA Erie. So Luke Birch, the former Kent State Golden Flash, is also a Florida State League all-star. We should also find out the other all-star nominations for the other teams in the system over the course of the next week. So we'll certainly have some more all-star nominations to talk about on Episode 3 of the Road to Detroit podcast. And that right there is The Road Ahead. It also wraps up this edition of The Road to Detroit podcast. Our thanks to everybody who made this podcast possible. Thanks to Jake Rogers of the Toledo Mudhens and the Tigers' number 12 prospect for coming on. It's great to see the offense starting to catch up with this elite-level defense. Thanks to Jim Callis of MLB.com. Got a chance to catch up with 
with him. Really insightful when it comes to what the Tigers might be thinking with that fifth pick in the draft. Here's the good news. Next edition of the Road to Detroit podcast, we'll talk to the first-round pick of the Detroit Tigers. We'll talk to him. We'll also talk to the director of scouting, Scott Pleiss, about what went into the decision-making process for the Tigers to decide to select that particular player. It all comes up on Episode 3 of the Road to Detroit podcast. This has been Episode 2. Until then, for Nate Wangler, our producer, I'm Dan Hasty. See you.